Look with me in Galatians chapter 5 this morning as we begin reading in verse number 1. And the Bible says this, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which troubleth you. For, brethren, you have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But, look at verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the truth contained therein. And God, I pray that we would be your children who desire to hear from you today. God, that we would put off the cares and the concerns of the afternoon or the rest of this week to the side just for a few moments of time. That we might be able to focus in on you and to hear what you have to say to the church today. God, I do pray that if there's someone in our midst, somebody listening, or otherwise that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day that they would understand that they too can be freed by Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, because you are my strength and you are my Redeemer. Lord, we love you and we thank you in advance for what you'll do and for how you will work. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, and for his sake, all of God's people said, amen. A few weeks ago, uh, while I was away, I just want to say this, uh, God used Colby in a phenomenal way to to really to reveal the beauty uh, of living as adopted sons and uh, heirs of God through Jesus Christ, and then following that up, uh, the Lord really used Travis to challenge us all to be growing, and and I can tell you, anytime when you challenge the church of God to be growing, it's going to be a silent crowd. Uh, when you point out things about uh, whether we are willing to grow in the Lord or not. And as I listened to the message, I listened to both of the messages while I was in London. Uh, after preaching in Wales, we had made our way to London to try and fly home. And, and uh, I was a little bit under the weather and I thought, well, Lord, what would pick me up? And so I listened to back-to-back messages. And so I'm thankful for them 
Because both of those young men, as they preached the Word of God, they reminded us all that you and I are saved by grace alone. <laughs> it would be real terrible if I said they reminded us that the only way we could be saved is if we worked our butts off. They reminded us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and here's the biggie, in Christ alone. It's only because of Jesus that you and I can be forgiven, and so I'm thankful for uh, the word that went forth while I was away, and this morning we're continuing our journey through Galatians, and we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 5 this morning, as Paul is writing to this church, and, and it's been said that here in chapter 5, it's where Paul makes the shift from what we've seen as gospel theology to now he's going to say, hey guys, it's time to where... It's time to get to the point where the rubber meets the road. Instead of thinking about things, instead of considering theology, now I want to talk to you about gospel living. And he does so right here in chapter 13, and he starts in verse number 1, but then you'll see we'll make a shift. He jumps down to verse number 13 to really give us the keys of everything in this passage. And so to that end today, I'm going to teach this passage or preach this message, if you will, in a little bit different format. And so if you're a note taker, it's going to be real simple. I'm going to give you four specific words. And you say, that's it? That's all I'm going to get today? Four words. That's right. You get four words today. And I'm going to challenge you. Some of you are rolling your eyes thinking he's going to say more than four words. You're right. I will. Uh, but I'm going to give you four words that you can write down. And I pray that God will use these words to challenge each and every one of us, towards living a godly life. We talked a little bit about that in our Sunday school hour, but I want us to notice the very first word. And the first word that I would give to you from the Apostle Paul here in chapter 5 is the word liberty. The first word is liberty. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says here, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom. That word liberty means freedom. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or freedom wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you remember Travis's message, he said he never felt more dumb, more stupid than when he went back and he made the same mistakes that he had made before. And I would say that's true of all of us, right? It's like the old saying, fool me once, right? Shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And so the reality is here, Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or freedom we have in Christ because he's the one that made us free. Now I want you to zero in on the word therefore. And I want to encourage you, anytime you're reading scripture and you get to a passage and you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, as my old Bible college professor used to say, what's it there for? Why does Paul say stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free? Well, you have just learned that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Colby, in his message, he talked about how the fact that we are adopted as sons, and because we're adopted as sons, you and I, praise the Lord, we are heirs of God through Jesus Christ. Soon and very soon, we're going to inherit something we don't deserve. We've already reaped what we don't deserve, and that's forgiveness of our sin. But soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. And so we are heirs 
with God through Jesus Christ. And then Travis, he talked about this fact that we are children of the free. We've not been born to a bond servant, but we have been born children of the free when we're born through Jesus Christ. And so we see this playing out, and so Paul says here, stand fast. Now, what do you think that means? What does it mean? It means don't move. Don't be swayed. Don't be persuaded by some other doctrine, some other teaching. Paul's saying, guys, stand fast. In fact, if you go back to Galatians chapter 1, it was verse number 6. Look at verse number 6, and this won't cost you anything. But it says, I marvel that you're so, so soon removed from, that, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He was immediately addressing the issue that these believers in Galatia had been moved, had been persuaded by some other message than the message of Jesus Christ alone. And so chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, he's dealing with this legalism that was running rampant. And here he says, stand fast, don't move. In other words, don't get caught up in the yoke of bondage that seeks to enslave you. Now, when you think of a yoke, some of you may have this picture of an ox out in a field, right, under this yoke. Now, here's, this is exactly what legalism does to us. This is what other things do to us. It puts this yoke or this strain on us. And Jesus Christ came to remove the yoke of bondage in our lives. He did it for the Jews. He does it for the Gentiles, right? We all have the same God. In fact, I was talking to someone the other day, and it's amazing to me. I was thinking about uh, other ones that we'll, you know, that we'll talk with, others that come from different denominational backgrounds and, and whatnot. Folks, can I assure you today that there is not a Catholic God and a Christian God. There's not a Muslim God and a Christian God. There is one God. He is over all and he is rich to all that call upon him through Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful promise of Scripture. And so here Paul is saying, he's like, listen guys, don't allow yourselves to get put back under the bondage of the law. You guys are trying to earn your way to heaven and it's not going to work. Do you know that the word bondage here in the Greek, this word bondage actually means to be a slave, to be put under slavery. See, that's what these Jews were doing. They were trying, these Judaizers, they had come back to Galatia and they would say, hold on. Jesus Christ is not enough. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to do this. You have to do that. Don't we do the same thing sometimes? I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to check off my spiritual checklist. It shouldn't be like that, guys. It's not a matter of you and I having to check off our spiritual checklist. We should be so in love and so grateful and so thankful for what God through Jesus Christ did that we would want to read the Bible, that we would want to worship Jesus, that we would want to tell other people about his love. It's not about a checklist. It's not about a list of things that you and I have to do. It's about a relationship that you and I can have with Jesus who has already done everything. The first word I want you to look at is liberty. And, and I know I'm going to jump in and I want to bring the second word in because Paul jumps right in here. Look at verse number two. He jumps right in to the very next word, which is legalism. The first word is legalism, but then again, he reminds them of this legalistic tendency. 
You see, the Judaizers were saying in order to approach God that a person still needed to be circumcised, commit to the, uh, to the law, to observe the rituals, and as we've talked about. However, Scripture reveals that the law, the only job of the law, the only job of the law was to reveal our need of salvation. You say, well, that's funny. I've never seen that. Look in Galatians chapter 3 in verse number 24. Right on the same page, crossways, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to do what? Look at it. To bring us to who? To Christ, so that why? That we might be what? The word justified means when, when we become justified, it's as if God looks at us and says, just as if you never sinned. Now you and I know that we're sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we are justified by God through Jesus Christ, it's as if he puts a stamp of approval on us that we don't deserve. He puts the stamp on and says, you don't deserve it, but because you love my son, because you have believed in my son, because you have placed your faith in my son, I am going to count you as being justified. Oh, what a beautiful picture of God's love. And so Galatians tells us that it is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But look at verse 25. But after that faith is come, we are what? No longer under the schoolmaster. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Just those two verses that are very obscure. And many of you probably haven't read the, those two verses more than a few times in your life. And yet I would encourage you, man, hold fast to that because it's so beautiful. In fact, a few weeks ago, guys, if you'll show Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, a few weeks ago I revealed to you what Paul said to the church at Philippi and how he said it to those in Philippi. He said, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Look, he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them undone that I may win Christ. But notice verse number 9. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Notice what Paul's saying. He says, the righteousness that I thought only comes by trying to adhere to the law. He says, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of who? God's righteousness. Oh, that's so beautiful. Listen, the purpose of the law was not to save. The purpose of the law was to drive us to our Savior. And so we see these words, liberty and legalism, sandwiched right together here. And guys, the warning here that Paul gives in chapter 5 is so incredibly strong because of the deceptive Jesus plus message that was being given. He says, guys, don't, don't fall victim to these Judaizers who are trying to tell you that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is enough. Can you say Jesus is enough? We can say it, but my question is, do you believe it? Brother Charles will be having thyroid surgery tomorrow. I know he believes Jesus is enough. Flo will be having surgery for breast cancer in October. I know she believes Jesus is enough. I know others that are going through cancer treatment in this room that believe Jesus is enough. Some of you may be out of work right now and you're wondering, is Jesus enough? He is enough. The Bible says that if we will trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding, that He, God, will direct our paths. 
right? When we acknowledge Him, when we accept Him, when we trust Him and we put Him in the forefront of our lives, He will lead, guide, and direct us each and every day. You see, when we believe and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to worry about whether I'm good enough. Have you ever felt like, am I good enough? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. I had a, I had a brother that brought some discredit upon the family when I was a little, a little bit younger. And so you know what I did? I tried, to, I tried to, uh, to try and live in a way that would make my dad proud, right? And he said, well, you ought to do that anyway. That's what good young men do. But you see, I found my value not in God during those years, but I found my value in if I made my earthly father happy or if I made mom or dad happy, if I made my school teacher happy. And I always worried, am I good enough? Am I good enough for my English teacher to be proud of me? Am I good enough for my uh, science teacher to give me a passing grade? Am I doing enough to make everybody happy around me to, to kind of er erase, you know, the mar that was supposedly on the family? And I'm, I'm afraid that if we're really honest with ourselves, some of us have gone through times like that where we say, God, am I really good enough? Am I doing enough to earn your favor? Can I tell you that you and I will never do enough to earn God's favor? The only favor that we will receive is through Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, we don't have to worry about whether we're good enough or whether we've done enough good works or whether we've kept enough of the law to be accepted because Jesus has fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, stand fast. He said in verse 2, look at it. He says, he says, if a person seeks to justify themselves through the ritual practice of circumcision, he says, then Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, he says, it's not going to profit you anything. If you keep looking at verse 3 and 4, Paul reiterates the point that if I'm trusting in ritual, if I'm trusting in the regulations of the law or whoever is putting these regulations over me or religious practice, to be justified, notice in verse 4 he says, he's basically saying that the grace of God is going to be useless. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's saying that it's, it's basically useless to you if that's what you're trusting in. If I'm placing my trust in all the things that I think I must say, all the things that I must do, and, and on and on, he's saying God's grace is, is of no effect for you. It's, it's vain. It's useless. But in verse 5 and 6, Paul says the key to our hope, I love this, he says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Look at verse 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. He's saying that the key to the hope that sets us free in Jesus Christ is faith. You want a key to set you free? Look at your keys and say faith. That's the key that sets us free. It's Jesus Christ. It's not anything that we can do or say. Faith pinpoints my inability. You got a problem today? I say, trust the Lord. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Listen, faith pinpoints my inability while focusing on God's ability. That's what faith does. Faith also looks away from what I think I can do, humanly speaking. Have you ever been there? It's like, I got this. God, I don't need you today. Uh, you can have a nice vacation this week. 
Uh, I got everything under control. Have you ever said that in your mind? Like, God, I got it. You can have a vacation. Do you not think he's busy dealing with other people? He doesn't take any vacations. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, he's on point all the time. Listen, faith, faith actually looks away from what I think I can do and what you think you can do, and it begins to celebrate what God has already done and what God will do through his supernatural ability. The sad thing to me about this passage, look with me in verse 7. The sad thing to me about this passage is that in verse 7, Paul says, and, he, and by the phrase that we'll look at here at the beginning, it's evident that there was a time when these people were standing and they were living well in the liberty and freedom of Jesus Christ. Notice he says at the beginning, he says, you did, he says, you did run well. So obviously there had been a time when they were worshiping and they were serving and they were living lives that matched their profession of faith. But notice he follows it right up. He says, but who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Obviously, there was a point when they were living right, but all of a sudden they allowed somebody to come in and notice he says, who? That tells me that there must have been some ringleader. Can I tell you in the marketplace or in the workplace when you go to work? I've had this happen. There'll be a ringleader who will try and get you off track. There'll be someone who will challenge you and say, you don't need that Jesus stuff. Come on with me. We're going to go do this, that, or the other. You don't need Jesus. You don't need, you don't need to worship Jesus. Don't. I know the Bible says, for not, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but you can do that once every eight weeks and be fine. Believe me, where's that verse? Please show it to me. Right? By the way, God didn't put that verse in the Bible for pastors because I always wasn't a pastor. Right? The idea of not forsaking ourselves together as a manner of some end is because you and I are not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. Whether you like it or not, look to your left, do me a favor. Now look to your right. And some of you are like, there's no one to my right. There's no one. I'm looking at the wall. <laughs> I see a lot of husbands and wives sitting next to each other. You may not even like the person to your left. You may not like the person to your right, and you're like, you're right. How can I give you sign language that you're, you and I are now focused on what, yes, pastor. It doesn't matter. When Jesus Christ put himself on the cross, by the way, they didn't put him there, he put himself there. He did it for all the world. Became the propitiation for all the world. Guess what? That means he died for each and every one of you in this room and everybody listening. Oh, you did run well. But who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Listen, the, the, the point is there was a ringleader at this time that was getting the church of Galatia off track. And notice Paul uses the imagery of running, which is nothing new with the Apostle Paul. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he uses the imagery of running. In Hebrews chapter 12, he talks about there being so great a cloud of witnesses who are watching us run this race. And he tells us that we're to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then in, in Timothy, when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 4, 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. He's talking about the course of life, this, this race, this journey that he was on. He wasn't talking about a 50-yard dash. He was talking about life as a marathon. Oh, listen, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Look at verse number 8. It reminds us, he says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Listen, this false message, Paul says, this false message of legalism didn't come from Jesus Christ. Folks, the message of Jesus is an exclusive message. Some of you don't like that. I see on Facebook and social media, we don't like sometimes that the message of Jesus Christ is exclusive. But I'm here to tell you the greatest news about his message of exclusivity is that it is inclusive. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, I'm not convinced. Well, in John chapter 8, in verse number 24, Jesus himself, he said these words. He says, if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that I'm the Messiah, he was talking to Jews, and he says, if you don't believe I'm the Messiah, if you don't believe I'm the everlasting, unchangeable God, if you don't believe that I am the great I am, the Savior of the world, the one and only, the mediator between God and man, if you don't believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life, then he says, you shall die in your sins. That's the exclusive message of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, got real quiet. I got one person saying that's right. I didn't write the Bible. It's an exclusive message. It is exclusive. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, For there is no other foundation, no other foundation can man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's one foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But let me take you to the good news part of it. In Romans chapter 10, in verse number 12, we very rarely look at verse number 12, but I want you to look at verse 12, because verse 12 gives way to verse number 13. In verse number 12, the Bible says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. No difference between the Jew or Gentile. For the same Lord is over all, I referenced this a minute ago, and is what? Rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, listen, what a wonderful message from Scripture that I don't have to be enough. I don't have to work enough. I don't have to uh, uh, worry about whether you like me or whether you hate me. All I have to do is place my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's the one that saves me. And by the way, when my ways please the Lord, the Bible says, God, he will make all men to be at peace with me. There are going to still be people who don't like you. My wife doesn't like me most of the time. No, she loves me all the time. All the time. She, she never leaves me alone. <laughs> no. Guys, can you imagine what heaven is going to be like? Can you imagine? I don't get along with the person to my left. I don't get along. The reason I sit right here, <laughs> the reason I sit right here is because I don't like that person over there. 
So I sit in this part of the sanctuary. Uh-oh. Hmm. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. We got the word liberty and legalism. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9 cautions us of how false teaching of just one person can ruin the church. It can influence the church. In essence, Paul was telling these people in Galatia, if you don't root out the false legalistic teaching that's running rampant, then the whole church would become corrupted with this false message and, and hence the gospel message is being destroyed. And then in verse number 10 through 12, I'll not go into the graphic nature of uh, verse number 12, but I encourage you to search it out for yourself. But in verses 10 through 12, Paul is making the point that false teachers will be judged and he actually gives his personal desire for these false teachers who are preaching this Jesus plus message. But what I want you to do is focus on where we really need to get, which is verse 13 and following. Because verse 13 says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Use, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another. The third word I want to introduce to us comes from verse number 13, and it's the word license. You see, we live in a day and age, and even it was here evidently in Galatian, uh, Galatia, uh, where there was a problem with legalism, but there's also a problem with license. Notice the verse, it says in verse number 13, Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So my question in red here, I put down in my notes, if Christ sets you and I free from the rigors of the law, does that mean that you and I as believers can go out and live like we want to live? Then why do we do it? If Christ has set me free from the rigors of law, if he set me free from my sin, the dominion of sin in my life, does that mean that I can go out and do what I want, say what I want, think what I want, act like I want with no consequences? And here's the reality. The reason people do it is because they say, so thankful for God's grace. Do you know the times that I hear people using God's grace is usually the time that they've just sinned against God? I never hear anybody much talking about showing God's grace to their neighbor. I don't hear about people talking about showing God's grace to the person in the pew next to them. I don't see us showing grace to the person in the marketplace many times. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I just don't see it often. But I hear a lot of people, they use grace. And when I say use, I mean they trample over God's grace when it comes to their own lifestyle and living. Satisfying, uh, satisfying the flesh which is a whole nother conversation that I started right after Sunday school, satisfying the flesh and seeking the things of the world, which really flies right in the face of the one who they say they know and love the most. And so we have to be careful as, as Christ followers of this word license, you see, because satisfying the lust of the flesh are not freeing in any way. If I say, hey man, I'm free, Christ has set me free, I can live how I want, I can say what I want, I can do what I want, I'm going to high school pastor, I'm going to do what I want when I'm in school. I'll come and worship on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'm going to do what I want. That's not freeing. That's called bondage. That's called slavery. Because now what you're saying is you're going to live in a way that satisfies your own flesh. And the flesh is always going to want Things that are contrary to the Word of God. I'm just, I'm just saying, I've been there, done that. 
I want this, therefore I'm going to do this, right? Here's what I want, here's the actions, right? Desires lead to actions, and actions lead to consequences. Remember I taught that a couple of years ago when I was talking about our communication. What's the desire of our communication? It's going to lead to how I communicate, how I act in that communication. And then that communication action that I take leads to the consequences of my communication. The same is true across the board. If my desire is selfish in nature, then guess what? My actions are going to be selfish. And I got news for you, that's not biblical. That's, that's basically trampling on the grace of God when we say that. In our passage, Paul says that we are set free by having secured God's approval through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus Himself said, look at the verse in John chapter 8, verse 36. He said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You're not free, though, to trample upon His grace. In fact, F.B. Meyer once said this. He said, we are free but not free to disobey the commands and promptings of our new nature. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So F.B. Meyer said this. He said, we're not, we are free, but we're not free to disobey the commands and promptings of our new nature. He went on. He said, we are set free from the minute prescriptions, from the priestly rules and requisitions, from all that would cramp and hinder our spiritual development. But notice these words. He says, but... We are still under the law of Christ who will see to it that the essential righteousness of the Mosaic law is fulfilled in us. Oh, a lot of people say, oh man, I'm so thankful. Man, I'm so free from the law and the burden of the law. I got news for you. You're under a new law. It's called the law of Jesus Christ and his law is love. And that's the fourth word. If you haven't figured it out, Paul shared talk about standing fast in the liberty and then he reminded them about the legalism and then he hints at this license problem that was running rampant but the last word I show you is love and the main point of all of these verses is that because you and I have been set free by Christ through God Christ Paul says use your new freedom here's what he says look at verse 13 he says use your new freedom to serve one another in love See, because verse 14 says when we do this, we fulfill the whole law. But verse number 15 says that when we don't do it, we destroy ourselves. It's been said, flip over one page and put your, a couple of pages, put your finger at 1 Corinthians 13. Because it's been said that one of the most astonishing verses in Scripture in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 13, verse number 3. And the Bible states there, it says, look at verse number 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, the word there is agape, right, love, it says, it profiteth me nothing. Now when I read that verse, it's an eye-opener because Jesus himself actually said in John chapter 15, verse number 13, he said, greater love hath no man... Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You say, how many would say, Pastor, I don't have any problem loving my friends. Would you say, I don't have any problem loving my friends? Anybody, would you raise your hand and say, I don't have any problem loving my friends. It's not a trick question. 
Yeah, friends can be hard to love sometimes, but we're talking about your, your uh, responsibility. Most people would say, I don't have a problem loving my friends. Stay with me. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, I am nothing. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But here's the problem. You see in Luke chapter 6, in verse number 27 and 28, Jesus talks about another set of people that we need to be loving. Notice, he says that we should be loving our enemies, that we should be doing good to those that hate us. We should be blessing those that curse us. In verse number 28, he says that we ought to be praying for those that despitefully use us. Have any of you ever been despitefully used before? You ever felt used? Has anybody in this room ever felt hated before? Nobody other than Linda? I'm thankful that Linda makes a holy grunt back there because at least I know she's listening. At least I know she's listening, man. I feel like, man, if nobody else is listening, Linda's listening. Amen? It's like, God, I don't know what you did with that. I know your word will never go out void, but thank you, Linda, listened. Right? Anybody ever felt hated before? How easy is it to love those that hate you? Uh-oh. That's a problem, isn't it? Anybody better ever been cursed before? <laughs> you might have been cursed on the way to church this morning. <laughs> I told you to get up and get ready. You don't get up and get ready. I'm going to put you to Kids are looking at the moms and dads, and the moms and dads are looking at the kids. But I wanted to stay home. I told you to get up. We're going to church. Jesus said, not only love your friends, he said, love your enemies. He said, bless them that curse you. Pray for them, right? He says, pray for them that despitefully use you. That's a whole different kind of love. And I know, I, listen, I know there's some of you right now who are saying, hold your horses, pastor. Are you telling me that Jesus Christ freed me from the law? Are you telling me that he freed me from the curse of my sin? Are you telling me that he freed me from the dominion of my sin only to lock me up? Only to lock me up in bondage or slavery again? No, what I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free so that you and I could live how you and I were created to live, in liberty through Jesus Christ so that we would be able to exercise love through Jesus Christ. It's hard for me to love people. Join the parade. Sometimes it's hard to love people because some people just don't want to be loved. There are people, there's Mr. and Mrs. Curmudgeons, and they're not all those that are over 65. Some of you are Mr. and Mrs. Curmudgeons in training. I'm just training to take the spot of those that will soon be going on. It's hard to love one another sometimes. It's hard to love your children sometimes. It's hard to love your spouse sometimes. It's hard to love your job that God has given you. It's hard to love the home that has all kind of repairs that need to be done. 
It's hard to love the way you look sometimes. You know, I used to look in the mirror, 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 who's the fairest of all? And the mirror stopped speaking to me. It's hard. But the reality is it has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. Are we loving as Jesus wants us to love? You see, his law is love. We've been set free to experience all the beauty, all the glory, and all the joy of having Jesus Christ alive in our hearts. And if he's alive in our hearts, then there's no way that you can tell me you hate your brother. I don't care where your brother comes from. I don't care what your brother looks like. There's no way you can tell me you hate your brother and say, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? No, you don't. You obviously don't have the joy of Jesus living in your heart, if that's the case. Henry Ward Beecher, who was a bastion of Christ's love, years ago, he said these words. He remarked, and he said that speaking of Christ's love is not just a moral saying. He says it's a critical turning point in our lives. He said, whereas nature says, use all your powers of body and mind to repel injuries and to punish those who are against you, he says, the spiritual kingdom says, use none of them. He says, forgive. Did you hear him? He said, forgive. He said, love. He said, pray for. He said, bless. He said, help. He said, carry a little a bit of heaven in your souls and make it calm around those who are your enemies. He's talking about Christ's love, being alive in our hearts. Oh, my friends, please don't uh, misunderstand. Listen, loving people is not about me or you. It's all about Jesus. Love can never be equated to my agenda. Anybody got an agenda this morning? I got an agenda in about 10 minutes. It's going to be called put some food in my belly, right? We got agendas. And if we're not careful, agendas will get us off track. And I don't care what side of the political aisle you sit on. Your left side agenda, your right side agenda, without Jesus Christ is no agenda at all. I'm glad somebody heard that. Because I look around. And in truth, I see a lot of agendas and actions that are running rampant these days that are not consistent with the love of Jesus Christ. All the way around. The Bible says, look at 1 Corinthians 13. I told you to put your hand there. Look at verse 5. You see, because Paul, Scripture confirms Scripture. He's consistent. In verse number 5, he says that love, he's talking about this idea of charity or love. He says, love seeks not her own. Love's not concerned about me. My love should be concerned in the marital relationship. My love is concerned with the needs of my wife and the needs of my family. It's not concerned about me. And if I'm doing that, that's, that's the beautiful picture of marriage. If I love my wife the way that I'm supposed to as a man of God and as a husband, and she loves me the way that she's supposed to as a woman of God, as a mother, and on and on, then guess what? I don't need to be selfish, and neither does she. That's the beautiful picture of the law of love. But notice it says, love seeks not her own. It goes on, it says, love is not easily provoked. Quick being provoked to evil. It says it thinks no evil. In verse number 6, it says that love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Why are we getting so excited when people do wrong? People are watching. 
And they say, ah, Battlefield Baptist Church. I don't want any part of it. We got people that are saying they renounce their faith in Christ because they're looking at people instead of looking at God. They're looking at how Christians act and say, well, there's no difference between the Christian and the Muslim, and there's no difference between the Christians and the Catholics, and so therefore I'm going to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard, but that's what's happening. That's why our testimony means so incredibly much. But much to our shame, I can't say as I've seen anything like the love I find in Scripture today. But if our faith is genuine, then it's going to be operating according to the ways of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Look at verse 6 as I close. Look at verse 6 of our text. Back in our text, I'm sorry, back in Galatians 5 and verse number 6. It says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you're under legalism or whether you're under the ways of the heathen at this time. He says, they avail you nothing. But here's what's profitable. Paul says, but faith, which worketh by how? By love. See, faith is going to be seen in how we love God. When you walk through the doors, it says, love God, love God's word, and love people. See, faith is going to be seen in how we love God today and tomorrow and throughout the week. It's more than what we just say. It's how we live. Faith is going to be seen in how we love God. It's going to be seen in how we love people, all people, not just those who we see ourselves being concerned with, but those that we don't get along with. How am I loving the person that despises me and curses me and hates me? How do I love that person? Oh, listen, faith is also going to be seen in how we live our lives. James what a beautiful passage. I would, entire, I would encourage you to read the whole passage in context, right? To see that what he really is talking about. Don't misconstrue the context of James chapter 2. You know, there is historical, historical grammatical, uh, 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 cultural sensitivities that need to be uh, borne out in that passage. But in James chapter 2, in verse number 17, he says that faith, if it has not works, is dead. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and Ephesians 5, 2, and says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and have given himself as an offering, a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 13. And I close. Verse number 4. The Bible says, Charity suffereth long. Everywhere you see the word charity, speaking of agape love. It says, Love suffers long and is kind. Charity or love envieth not. Charity or love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, it does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And then the first part of verse number 8 says that charity or love never fails. In our text, verse number 15, Paul wraps it up by saying this, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another. Paul is describing what animals do. Paul is describing what animals do. He says, but if you, divide, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed of one another. And I would just simply say this, if Jesus Christ is not living inside of us, it becomes easy on a daily basis to bite and devour one another. If I don't allow the law of Christ, the law of love, to rule into my heart, right, it's going to be easy to bite and devour my wife. 
It's going to be easy to bite and devour my children. I can't do it on my own. That's why I need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. You see, the warning here in verse 15 is clear. We have to live in the law of love. Oh, listen, God through Jesus Christ has set us free. He offers forgiveness. He offers a relationship, daily help and guidance and hope for an incredible future through eternity. And it's all free. If you're here this morning or you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I beg you, I beg you and encourage you to trust Jesus today as the Lord and Savior of your life. You're looking for love. Find it in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who came to set you free. I said it at the beginning of the message. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But maybe you're here and your fur has been rubbed the wrong way today. That's not the intent of the message. But the intent of Paul's passage this morning, as the Holy Spirit gave to Paul, the intent is very clear. Paul said, stand fast. Stand fast in the liberty that you have in Jesus Christ. Stand fast in it. Stay away from the practices of legalism and license. And for crying out loud, he says, renew your commitment to love. By love, serve one another. Because when you do this, you fulfill all the law in loving your neighbor as yourself. It was Jesus Christ who said in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And if you notice in verse number 35 of that passage, he says, By this shall all men know. They won't guess. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And then there's one big word right there, two letters. Circle it, if. If you have love one to another. Oh, I pray that we as a body of believers become Continue, if you're there and you're loving people the way you should, then praise the Lord. If you need to renew your commitment to love other people, then I pray you do that today. But I pray that as we go out from this place, the people begin to recognize Battlefield Baptist Church as the place that truly not only loves God, not only loves His Word, but as the place that truly loves people. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.